Welcome to Passion and Hustle Podcast, a platform for fresh and honest stories from successful entrepreneurs, self-driven freelancers, and motivated individuals that are here to help encourage you to hustle and turn your passion project into reality. In today's episode, we are excited to be joined by Jake Narva, a groundbreaking video director who has displayed authenticity and integrity to a wide variety of audiences. Jake's impressive portfolio displays award-winning music videos for A-list artists such as Beyonce, Adele, and Kanye West. Aside from music video production, Jake has worked with brands like Armani, Bacardi, and Remy Martin, and in this interview, we dive into how he has gone about working with such huge names. Jake is a former University of Westminster graduate and a noted alumni with a breadth of experience and knowledge to make us all sit up and take notes. Follow us as we go on a journey with Jake through the landscape of film, through music videos and TV commercials to inspire the next generation of filmmakers. Today's episode will be hosted by Jenny Baptiste. So without any more introductions, let's get straight to it. Hi, this is Jenny. And in the pod today, we have Jake Nava. Jake, great to have you here today. How are you doing? I'm good. It's nice to be here. Lovely to have you. Um, so, Jake, we are going to be talking to you today with regards to your fabulous journey within film, um, starting off through the early years. Uh, then we'll go on and talk to you about your breakthrough. And then finally, we'll come up to date uh, into the present time of here and now. I'd like to take it back to the beginning. Where did you first experience your moment whereby you were like, I want to be a director? That's a good question. We came from quite a creative background, I suppose. My dad was in experimental theatre. He was in a kind of um, avant-garde performance art theatre group called The People Show with a guy called Mike Figgis, who was a significant filmmaker in his moment. And um, my mum also uh, was kind of in a um, cutting-edge feminist theatre group called The Women's Liberation Group back in the day, although she got into academia. So there was quite a lot of arts uh, and ideas flying around when I was a youngster. And um, I'm not sure why exactly, but lots of my siblings kind of moved into um, expressing that in, in, in film. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I'm not sure that I can't really recall the exact moment I had the epiphany. Ah, it probably would have been a lot earlier, in fact. Okay. When I was, um, became very, you know, uh, taken by the film Quadrophenia, which, which actually did go on to reflect on my subsequent work in some ways, because I've done quite a lot with youth culture and subculture and music. And that film is about music and subculture. It's about a sort of 60 subculture mods and uh, a, a, a young girl who had moved into our place, um, which was a kind of like bohemian living environment, she she was looking after us. And mm-hmm. her boyfriend was in Quadrophenia. He was Trevor Laird. He was an actor who um, was a massive influence on my sense of style. And then they went on to do a film called Babylon, all that crew from Anna Schurz, yeah. who was a, you know, a, a kind of, um, that was a, a kind of youth theatre group where in those days you would go if you wanted people who, you know, were sort of didn't speak the Queen's English, who'd had, who sort of had more of a kind of street 
vernacular, I suppose. And another massive influence on me was that film Babylon. And that was all when I was like a kid. I always say I sort of moved from action men to mods and then from mods to James Brown. And through James Brown, I got into uh, black music culture and that stayed with me um, right up to sort of running nightclubs and things like that, which I was doing before I went to film school, but sort of feathered with my uh, journey into the University of Westminster, in fact. Mm-hmm. I remember I was still running a club uh, on a Tuesday night whilst I was trying to study. So so those years, like you mentioned the film uh, Quadrophenia, are you, are you talking like your teenage years or late teenage years? Yes, early. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was young. And I, I, I remember not being able to get into the movie because I was way too young to get in. By the time I actually saw the film, I'd read the script three times. You know, I, I remember just being really fascinated by the process because that was what I was hearing about from these, you know, actors and, you know, these mates of this girl who was looking after us who were hanging about. And I was just like, wow, you're really cool. And you're talking about this stuff. And that became fascinating to me in the same way as um, kind of being around the process of creation that my father's theatre group um gave me access to and they had a really kind of uh, they were kind of pretty ahead of their time in terms of site specific they were kind of like the forefathers to punch drunk and so it was all very sort of um participant observation and experimental and deliberately you know um departing from established conventions and things like that so watching those guys rehearse in the basement of the roundhouse when I was about 10 was pretty formative on my like excitement to be part of a kind of collective creative process that in the end I channeled into film. Wow that's that's really interesting um but you, you know I can see how all of that influenced your formative years further down the line. Who or what would you say uh, are your influences within the creative sphere now and and looking back as well? Too many and too diverse to be able to sort of package up. But, um, you know, if I was thinking about, say, music videos, which is obviously where I started, I was into hip hop. I was inspired by Hype Williams. But on the other hand, I was also inspired by Chris Cunningham because I was English. Yes. You know, and so I and I clearly wasn't really as sort of all out sort of in your wide angle as as hype. And I certainly mm-hmm. wasn't as, you know, twisted and and did sort of deliberately um, alternative as Chris. I used to be really inspired by Jonathan Glaze's commercials as well and videos, of course. So that's that that was back then. Well, hype was huge, you know, mm. um, back then, and, and was very um, influential because, in terms of the creative direction that he was taking, he kind of defined a way of seeing hip hop. That, as you know, later on when I was doing Naughty Girl, and he came down to the set, and yeah. <laughs> people were like, "You've met hype, right?" And I was like, "No, what are you talking about? <laughs> wow, wow, <laughs> hype Williams." So then I sort of said to him, you know, like. No one really could do anything in hip hop without being sort of like homage or reaction to what he'd done mm. because he, he just sort of like created a way of visualizing something that really hadn't um, had a visual genre within videos before. Also, in some ways, while I was in America, I started to find some of the kind of codes of hip hop 
videos slightly stifling. One of my agendas was to bring a certain European sensibility with me, you know, a bit of the ID magazine mixed yeah. in with the with the gloss and, and, to, and actually manage the gloss because sometimes I felt and do continue to feel that that can get in the way of heart. How would, how would you define your creative process? I don't think it's consistent. You know, yeah, I was going to say I don't think it's easy. But, you know, sometimes it's easy. Some, sometimes, I mean, one thing that happens in the kind of work that I have ended up doing, which is self-funded art house, you're working to a brief. So one of the things that defines it is what people say they are looking for. Which, of course, we know they don't, often they don't say what they're looking for, mm-hmm. but that would also define it. So that, you know, it, I would say that part of the creative process is the brief or lack of it. Mm-hmm. A part of the creative process is is my evaluation of what that brand or artist is, what they have been in the past. That relates to advertising and, 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 and music video. I, I'm, you know, there's a bit more work going on now with, narrative stuff and over the years I've been involved in developing narrative projects so that's obviously slightly different but the creative process is about you sort of discovering what inspires you about something what your way into a subject is because if you want to have a kind of impact a kind of resonance often you need to be kind of like emotionally invested or somehow your identity whether that's your conscious identity or your subconscious identity needs to somehow have a space within the work you are making in order for it to have a passion that is conveyed to the viewers and so a, a big part of the process for me whatever it is is to find the part of it that is meaningful to who who I already am and obviously, I don't know exactly what I am. So that shifts and yeah. that evolves on different, you know, depending at what point in your life exactly. or mood or day that you see something. No, totally. I, I agree. Because we're constantly evolving and changing as, as people. What would you say has been some of your most challenging yet defining moments within the early part of your journey? Well, I think um, challenging, you know, early part of my journey, if it's talking about the music videos, when I started actually getting given budgets and stuff like that, sometimes in the very early part, you'd be working on a song that you just didn't like. So that would be completely at odds with everything I just said, because you're like, I can't find myself in this. I don't like it. It's just a means to an end. I am lucky to get a gig, so I'm going to do it. You know, and in some ways I kind of, realized afterwards that maybe I should have been more resistant to doing work that I didn't really like the song for because it's really difficult to do something really good if you're not into it but that's a privilege that you may or may not have at a certain moment. What messages would you say to the next generation of film students, graduates? Oh, I was going to say, no, I was just going to say when you're saying our challenges, I think an important thing that I've realized is that you know, when you sort of are less successful at something in a project, yeah, mm-hmm. when something doesn't really work out, 
I now realize that actually has led to valuable, like, evolution. Mm. You know, for example, just before I did Single Ladies and Just a Boy back-to-back over four days that were pretty intense, you know, we had just been shut down on a big feature film because, you know, the financial crash had happened and the guys investing in it just weren't really up for making the movie that we were greenlit to make. So obviously that was a painful experience. Yeah. But out of out of that came a kind of drive and a kind of focus that led to, you know, doing something in my sort of existing sphere that turned out to be a sort of defining job. So, and, I, and when I think about it, there's a couple of times that you're just like got your, you know, face in your hands. You're, you know, you're feeling like, oh my goodness, that one didn't work out. Mm. And afterwards, uh, um, the next job, somehow I I see ended up being like something that people really responded to or something that I can see was a real step forward for me. Wow. Thanks for sharing that with us. What messages would you say to the next generation of film students or graduates who are inspired by you? I mean, I'm glad, you know, that's nice if they're inspired by me. That, that There's a message. I mean, in some ways, it's tougher now because um, there really are a lot of people doing it. And mm-hmm. so kind of getting your voice heard in, a, in amongst the, this sort of hugely crowded space is complicated. You also had to discover what you've got to say that is different from everyone else. In, mm-hmm. in other ways, I would sort of say... Um, Unfortunately, guys, you've got no excuses because certain people have proven that with tenacious work and effort, you can get your work onto certain platforms. Mm. And if it resonates, you know, you'll get traction. Mm. If you want to break in, work out what it is people want to see on different platforms and find the place that you are going to be like inspired enough and passionate enough and like creative enough in a positive way for them to care about what you do. And then you'll probably get views. And if you get views, the industries will come to you, you know, uh, in the same way as in the old days, if you did your university tour and all the students turned up to your gig, you might get a bit of record company interest, but it's bloody hard work doing those tours. Great. Thank you for that. Um, what advice, just to kind of slightly move on from that, um, what advice would you give aspiring directors? I've touched on it a little bit. You know, work out how to enjoy and clarify your your specific voice. Okay. Because, like, yes. just doing stuff that, you know, looks like stuff that's already been done or, you know, is not necessarily going to advance your cause nor possibly, you know, the creative arts. You know, you've got to sort of like try to do something that is really difficult but believe the, the people who've already done it before. Like, it was always difficult. It will continue to be difficult. It was difficult for everyone to go through that process of sort of finding their groove. Yeah, and it doesn't happen overnight, obviously. And 
it's not like you suddenly get to a point and say, oh, I've, 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 I've like got there because actually for me, when I got to certain places where I'd sort of define myself, it really, really made me want to sort of change again, which maybe wasn't the most, you know, commercial of things to, to think, but, mm. um, you know, keep evolving, keep trying to refine what you do and, and be sort of self-critical and work out, um, you know, what bits of what you do are, are rewarding you because I'm that kind of person that mm. likes making things that people enjoy watching and, and not just doing things just because they make me feel good, which is also a valid yeah. type of art, but not the type of art I'm into. Yeah. Cool. Great. Um, how, how important is networking, do you think, in your industry? Um, I think it's very, very important but not as important as the work. There's lots and lots of stories and people who've got a load of talent and because they didn't know how to market and hustle themselves, they ended up, that talent was wasted. You know, work out the right type of networking for what it is you want to do, which yeah. comes back a bit to understanding what is happening with platforms and, yes. you know, things like that. So to go back a little bit, um, what was the struggle period like for you? Like many creatives have highs and that in-between period where they struggle due to several factors. Is this something, <laughs> is this something you had to navigate or not? And if so, what kept you going during that time? The struggle period is now, is, is continues. Mm. If the struggle period stops, then you're just coasting and you're flat. You know, I don't know, uh, as I touched upon, it's not like you get to a place and go, yeah, that's it, I've arrived. For example, I'd wanted to make it in America with my music videos because at that time, yeah. MTV and America was like the forefront of the genre of, mm. of, of filmmaking that I was involved in, right? Yeah. So I wanted to get there and make my mark. And um, I kind of realised that you could only go so far and get so much creative freedom and so much quality of kind of artists to work with in England at that moment in the kind of, you know, category of music I was into, right? So when I got to America and found myself on the set with Jay-Z and Beyonce, of course, in some ways I was like, boom, you know, like my mate said to me, um, in fact, Wale, who you know, yeah. Uh, a, a fashion designer that I had worked with in England on a few videos and was a good mate of mine. He sort of said, how are you doing? And I was like, I'm just trying to not look overexcited. You know, yeah. how I was doing was thinking, this is where I want to be. Yeah. And so at that moment, it was totally where I wanted to be. But once that had been done, mm -hmm. then immediately it was like, well, where's the next place that you want to be? And, and 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 so I would say that I am experiencing that now. Like, where do I want to be? What are the kinds of um, projects that seem to uh, offer growth and offer um, like inspiration? So um, the struggle is still with me, but at the end of the day, survival of the fist. Yeah, like you know, you're going to get knockbacks. Uh, again and again, following on from what I've said about putting yourself in yourself into the work, being a creative to to a lesser or greater extent. A friend years ago said to me, like running naked through Tesco's, 
And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, in other words, you're putting yourself out there. So, like, that is clearly more of a struggle than not putting yourself out there. But yeah. at a certain point, some people realize that um, not putting themselves out there, not um, putting themselves on the line creatively is more painful than opposite, which is to put yourself out there, which yeah. is also difficult. And that's, you know, that's survival of the fittest. You'll get knockbacks, uh, lots of them, and it may take you ages to break through. But if you keep trying, you're probably going to get somewhere. What advice would you give on the business development side of the industry? Because a lot of creatives, that's where they sometimes falter and the two really kind of go part together. Yeah, they definitely do. And it just depends what kind of creative you want to be. But basically, you know, there is the option to work out how to express yourself self-sufficiently with very little finance. And, you know, the director who did Florida Project, the movie, he sort of did his first couple of films on iPhone. One of them was like in the kind of trans community in New York and really good. Yeah. So like, you know, that's back to the no excuses. Like you can make a film, never mind a like a test commercial or a music video or whatever. You could make a movie that moved people with narrative and heart on an iPhone if you really have the tenacious desire to do that. And in some ways, I would say that some of the things that could be achieved using an iPhone are more important than all the like fuss that people get kind of tied up in when they are getting technical or kind of think that like, oh, what I really need is a crane or if I only had a, you know, a this or a that, a bigger budget, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and of course, in other ways, filmmaking in general is not a cheap sport and you know it's not something you can do on your your own that easily you can do some kinds of films on your own and because you can't do some other kinds of things on your own you need a team you need finance and if you want finance you can't just expect it to be given to you without proving yourself worthy of it like that is capitalism and filmmaking like our lives, depending on where you live, is part of capitalism. Therefore, you need to prove your value. And that means like thinking about what you've got to offer and to who. And who's going to be interested in seeing what you're doing and who's going to be interested in financing that. And that means basically studying the market and understanding where you might fit into it. And I suppose that's the business side of it. Critically, I would say if you're sort of like a more creative type, you know, then putting a good team around you. You know, if you're not so good at the production side of it, you know, find someone who is, who wants to do that side of it, who who, who has complementary skills. Certainly, you know, on the whole, it is a collaborative thing. You do need a team. And so um, being able to analyse who could be good team players with you uh, is important to the business of making it. What skills do you think are fundamental to this in supporting your craft? Empathy. Because, you know, in terms of talking about directing, 
personally, there's a lot going on in terms of how you convince people to give you finance and um, how you convey an idea or how you interpret an idea. But I kind of like most associate the real kind of visceral feeling of directing with um, helping people who are in front of the camera cope with being in front of the camera and 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 sort of manage what must be like quite a nerve-wracking experience you know to be their best whatever their best constitutes at that moment with a bunch of people like all staring at them like wanting them to come up with the goods so i think that understanding people and understanding what makes them tick um understanding how you might sort of support them in 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 their endeavor is is what's important and and so if you're going to support someone you kind of need to understand them that's what i mean about empathy right so it's been so interesting just like uh, listening to you give us feedback in terms of uh, the early years of your career. And now I would just kind of like to uh, continue really uh, through to the breakthrough um, and then to the final part um, to bring us up to date. So what for you was the defining moment that gave you your, your breakthrough? I don't necessarily think there was one defining moment you know there were a few different times that I kind of felt like um I had um, managed to uh achieve closer to what I set out to achieve and in terms of talking about direction it is to direct in a certain way it is to be directional therefore Mm -hmm. it's about like achieving the, the direction that you were you were trying to take things. Sometimes, of course, you utilize accidents, surprises, spontaneity to the purpose of a certain direction. So in the early days, I remember thinking, like really early days, I remember thinking Return of the Mac is the first video I've made that yeah. feels like I'm doing what I'm trying to do for English black music, for example. Or um, even before that, there was a video for a kind of um, acid jazz girl called Affair Affair, and it was a kind of Reservoir Dogs Girls power thing, which was before the Spice Girls, and I kind of thought, yeah, that's got a certain sort of female gang empowerment vibe. Obviously, later on, you know, Crazy in Love, Single Ladies, you know, were important videos. And then in some ways... I was kind of like excited to sort of move Kanye into a different space with Monster. Um, I always liked doing things where um, I was part of an evolution for an artist or a brand. So I suppose Levi's circles felt good because they were trying to get into that inclusive global you know they were trying to do something which i instinctively understood about levi's because that's why we'd always warn them they had a kind of like universal resonance and so it was like inspiring to me to kind of try to put that across through the metaphor of the dance 
how how during that time did you handle it in relation to like support business the sudden increase in pace of your work do you think you were mentally ready for that you already had a sort of infrastructure I was thinking that Guinness was a really defining job for me because um you know I kind of wanted to get into advertising and as I came up you know people like Glazier and stuff had just done such amazing things with Guinness and Levi's and those were the brands that I wanted to work with and it sort of took a bit of time to you know transition and for people to accept um that I could get into that more that into that sort of stuff and so the Guinness ad I did about John Hammond who was a sort of um important uh, music producer in the in the 40s um well he came to start in the 30s but um he was the first kind of guy to put black jazz musicians on radio you know and there was a film that was for a great brand about an important subject um that spoke to some of the things I've been interested in doing that was a really defining moment because it was an ad where I got a chance to really use my skill set and and also do something a bit more sort of um you know socially aware uh and so that was kind of like a defining moment and and in some ways I suppose in terms of social awareness doing the um anti-gun crime film with Roll Deep was um particularly defining for me because it's not very often that you make a film if you're in you know music video and commercials largely that you think is of um tangible social significance so uh, a film that discouraged um violence you know amongst the gangs felt like um an important thing cool um so lastly how do you build a rapport of trust with your subjects when your creative vision might slightly differ to their expectations? Mm, That's a good question. Um, I mean, it's a combination of like doing your homework, meaning like being on your game and being like sure that what you are suggesting to them is right in yourself uh, because you have thoroughly like thought it through or maybe just like believe in a lightning bolt of inspiration that you've had. I mean, it's just like being sure. And so sort of doing your homework, being inspired. uh, At times I've had to say to people, you know, when you talk about trust, in fact, people have even said to me, but every director says, trust me. And you're like, well, yeah, true. What can I say? Look at my showreel, you know, in a way, like finally, everything is chit-chat. So there may be moments where people need to remember what you have done in the past to trust you. And you're like, well, if you look at their body of work, you might just think, whoa, I trust this person because like a lot of the time they come up with the goods. So sometimes it is about what you've done in the past. And um, sometimes it's about, you know, the idea you're pitching and the thoroughness to which you have like investigated that idea or that script or uh you know whatever it is uh let's move on to the final section the present here and now your recent commercial with a remy martin featuring usher encompasses the story of black soldiers in 1917 um, in the south of france how did that theme come about that theme came about because uh, advertising agency, the creatives at the agency who'd been working on that job with the brand for ages, had um, 
recognised that that was a good way into, uh, you know, communicating the um, tr truthful relationship between the between the Remy Martin and their core audience, their core market. Because I'm told that a lot more black people drink Remy Martin cognac in America than anywhere else. So, you know, Remy Martin um, realised who they sell to and have done for quite a while. Like, they first worked with Usher in 2010. Unlike a lot of the stuff that I've seen recently where you feel that people are slightly leveraging their social credentials or something, you know, like in the sort of post-Black Lives Matter moment when suddenly a lot more people in, in the corporate world are realising that they can't just, like, ignore black issues um which is positive but also sometimes can feel a bit exploitative or superficial I, I did feel like with remy that there was something that you could track for quite a few years in terms of them being different to kind of talk about what i then went on to sort of learn a lot more about because i wanted to be sure that there was a kind of sincerity about it the way in which a, a, a whole battalion, particularly one battalion from New York of black American soldiers ended up um, training in the South and then going over to France at the end of the First World War. Um, and uh, although they were certainly, um, you know, it, it, on the receiving end of a kind of um, racist way of treating them, they kind of broke through and did define themselves um, as really important. Like, you know, soldiers from the colony for England, for example, you know, like happens a lot. Anyway, so um, they also took with them when they went their kind of musical heritage and France picked up on that. And France, with a very different history of, um, you know, colonialization and... Um, segregation from America um, actually did embrace the kind of black culture, music culture, and, and that a bit more openly. And it kind of, that attitude did stay and you could see it, uh, you know, you can see it in the way in which Miles Davis later on ended up sort of gravitating to France and lots of jazz musicians. And after the jazz musicians, lots of musicians right up to sort of, you know, Jay-Z and Kanye even, you know, um, because France just had a way of kind of um, being able to accept and promote the creativity in a way that, you know, parts of America just can't, still can't, you know. So it was, it was seemed like a kind of positive project. And obviously I was really inspired by the different musical genres and I kind of took the script and reworked the script considerably and tried to sort of make it um, more sort of um, work better within the parameters that we were being offered and really enjoyed looking at the different music genres and developing the, the soundtracks with the producers and um, it was a cool project. No, that's cool. That's, um, you know, the commercial itself I thought was amazing because, you know, it's like watching a history lesson in a commercial, which for me is an awesome way to teach and reach a diverse audience. Um, fundamentally, you know, opening their mind to explore areas of history 
that they may not know about. Um, can I ask, has that been a part of your creative process in the development ideas um, of something that you might want to explore further? Yes, there are, there are a lot. And part of the reason that that commercial works is because it contains lots of things that I've been developing or thinking about anyway, you know. So it, it just kind of linked up with my passions and and to some extent my skill set in a kind of way that you don't just get that often. And that's why um, it was a really inspiring job and I was able to bring a lot to it. And obviously, um, you know, Raphael Sadiq is like an amazing producer who also, mm -hmm. like I already was like, you know, more than familiar with and felt um, would be great for it and was really great to work with him and see the way that such an elevated creative can interpret, you know, what you feel like you need for a scene. And, and it's not that common to have such a sort of um, skillful musician creating music for your dance scenarios. So that was nice. And um, certainly, you know, trying to capture a kind of plausible authentic kind of a kind a subculture of a moment dance kind of subculture but in a way that is true to what it really was but yet also resonates with a contemporary audience and isn't just like trying to be a documentary but is kind of stylized but not so stylized that you know it doesn't any longer feel like it's got the heart of what that thing was actually about I mean that's basically what I've been trying to do again and again for years so um just sometimes uh the, the the planets conspire align and it works well that one kind of worked out but you know your work has a real natural element of, of dance and youth culture uh throughout as a, as a filmmaker how, how do you determine what you incorporate that is just taste luckily i've recognized that the things that I like uh, get a good response. You know, not all the time, but, you know, so that gives you a kind of confidence to think, well, um, that will work. Like, that's your gut, your instinct. What do you feel? Like, you feel like, oh, that would be good. That would be good. And, like, I suppose that um, it's slightly more tangible with me in, say, the area of what you just said, you know, dance and youth culture. I think I've got quite good instincts in lots of areas and part of the ambition is to kind of continue to express those instincts in other areas but it's also like logical that people would kind of uh, come to you for what you have tangibly proven that you're, you've got good instincts for, you know? And uh, if you haven't been encouraged to, which is also very, very common, then you have to try to find the space to do that for yourself. And that is what you return to when you are looking for inspiration or to understand like what it is you bring to the game. So, so would I be right in thinking um, that, you know, your heritage and your identity has definitely helped shape um, your creativity? 100%. That's why it's important to work on yourself and your identity and sort of un un unravel it a bit in relation to yourself your friends your girlfriend your boyfriend your mum your dad your, you know your kids whatever that is who you are so that um 
you understand yourself because then you will know what makes sense and what has integrity when you bring it to your self-expression. You know, being kind of like growing up in North London as a mixed race kid. I don't know. These things do, you know, they come back round. But like what's cool at the moment is that suddenly everyone's like into identity and stuff like that in a way that, you know, wasn't necessarily the case before because that, that sort of not quite fitting in this for me actually was quite um, formative. I believe it may be why I got into representing um, youth cultures and um, different youth cultures and things because I kind of felt a little bit part of lots of different ones and not necessarily too perfectly part of anyone. And so, you know, it helps you jump around a bit from thing to thing and bring some truth to different things, you know, but like everybody's identity is nuanced and personal. And whilst it's really important to sort of, um, you know, do things that are genuinely connecting to your identity, if you can't sort of put yourself in a different space and connect with things that aren't your identity, then I don't know, you'd miss out on a lot of great, parts of most things that you might be involved in and that you know must be considered great well we're coming to the to the final question of our interview with you this afternoon um what's next in your journey that you're able to share with us in terms of what you'd like to do uh be part of the televisual revolution <laughs> i mean you know like in the way that MTV just seemed like the, the the best place to kind of like connect with, you know, vibrant eyes when I was into that stuff. Or then I started to get more inspired by certain kinds of advertising, like, like, the, like I mentioned, certain kinds of brands who were like doing really like intricate and thought through work. You know, it feels to me like, although there is quite a lot of dead wood out there in the in in the kind of post netflix sort of landscape there's also like a lot more opportunities to uh express different things and so i'm kind of developing a bit of stuff there and engaging with people about different projects narrative projects and um getting more interested in documentary as well and sort of you know the value of, of considering um, real life, how you construct real life, you know, to make an interesting argument. We hope you have enjoyed listening to Passion and Hustle podcast. If you want to find out more from the speakers or what we do here at Creative Enterprise Centre, then head over to our social media channels at cec.uow. With new episodes being released every two weeks, you'll be able to continue listening and getting inspired along your own journey of bringing your passion project to life.